Hey friends, I don't know how long you've been a part of the Nothing Is Wasted community, but I know that you are someone who values seeing transformational changes that can come out of the deepest depths of sorrow and pain. I'm sure the stories you've listened to on the podcast have been an encouragement to you, perhaps in your own story, and a beacon of hope in the long journey of healing. Would you like to see that kind of transformation, that kind of hope arise in your own community? Well, we have just the way for you to be a part of what God is doing in not only your story, but also in the stories of those around you. Consider sharing with your local church pastor and leaders, or perhaps your small group leader about the Nothing Is Wasted Pain to Purpose course. This course is a proven pathway to lead people through grief, trauma, loss, tragedy, major life transition, and into hope, healing, and newfound purpose. And you could be the catalyst that starts that process in your very own church by simply starting the conversation with your church leaders and letting them know about the incredible impact this course has had on you and can have on your local church body. We have countless listeners who have approached us and asked us for resources to get the Pain to Purpose course launched in their church. I've had multiple personal conversations with people as we've been connecting with their church leaders. And you can do the same thing. You can learn more about this at nothingiswasted.com slash churches. Again, nothingiswasted.com slash churches. And reach out if you have any questions on how to get the Pain to Purpose course started in your local church. With the right tools, real healing can happen in all of our stories and in the local church body that we attend and that we serve in. Don't wait. Learn more now about bringing the Pain to Purpose course to your church today. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Davey Blackburn, and joining me <laughs> is Aubrey Sampson, your other host. And I feel like you never know these days, right? We're like, I know oh, it could be Eric right? Schumacher, it could be Ken Roberts, it could be, be Vanita. Yeah, that's fun. That's fun. Yeah. Expanding it is a lot the fun. territory at Nothing that's Is right. Wasted. Good that's times. Right. Yeah. It's- right. Speaking of expanding territory, Tasha <gasps> June. Okay. Aren't you excited about this, Aubrey? I am a, okay, I am a Tasha June (laughs) fan, like a fangirl. I know you are. (laughs) Like her book, she has a new book out called Tell Me the Dream Again. And she's a biracial Korean American follower of Jesus. The book is remarkable. Like I could not put it down. It's just, it's a, I'm a writer. It's a writer's writer book, meaning like, it's just beautiful, but it's for everyone. Like, even if you're not a writer, grab her book, but she reflects on family and belonging. She reflects Mm -hmm. on ethnicity. She reflects on, um, this, this kind of place in her that was like aching for the shalom of Jesus through her story, through not feeling like she belonged in all the spaces she was in because of her ethnicity. And, and, uh, Jesus met her so beautifully, like in her Koreanness and in her Americanness, wow. and um, all that to say, she's—I'm a fan, and also she's a friend. We become friends. Yeah. We're in the same writers guild, and we become friends really because I started as a fan girl. 
Um, but I'm. <laughs> You're like, hey. Can yeah. We be so I was jealous that you got to interview her, not me, but also excited for our Nothing Is Wasted audience to get to yeah. know Tasha June B because she, um, just a beautiful, beautiful soul. Yeah, no doubt. It's great when you read. You know, I, I understand totally what you mean. Like a writer's mm-hmm. writer, it's like the 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 way the yes. flow of the syntax yes. and that you're just like, man, you can just kind of like, Ugh. and it almost feels. It, I think of it like like a Wendell Berry. Mm-hmm. Like when I read Wendell Berry, I'm just like, oh my, how goodness. do you like do it? Yes, in, wow, like you're you somehow have taken me on this journey and you've pontificated enough. Right. That I'm wrapped right. all up in this right. whole thing, right? Like, it's not just like straight to the point didactic. Some of you guys, you're out there, you're probably in your yeah. fives, and you're like, I just, just want give to me the, the point, info, right? right? But those of us <laughs> who like to get wrapped up in stuff, yes. right? We the like feelers. to just kind of immerse yeah. ourselves, marinate it in a little bit. You know, you do that, and then, but then there's like they bring it mm-hmm. home into this where you're like, whoa, you know, it's just this profound, flowing yeah. beauty, that, art, uh, really. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And Tasha's very similar. I mean, when she, when we had this conversation, you can tell like she just is so thoughtful yeah. about things, and she takes a subject matter that many of us wouldn't think mm-hmm. about. We wouldn't, you know, we, we would be, you know, a lot of times the race and belonging conversations, it gets um, reserved for a one particular race in the United States, and that's black, um, black yeah. Americans, right? And that's what, you know, that has been so much featured. But there, is, there are so many other minorities that are also wrestling with this sense of yeah. belonging. This is near and dear to my heart because my wife, Christy, is half mm-hmm. Korean. And she has told me, I share a little bit of this in the conversation with Tasha, but she has told me some of the experiences she had growing mm. up in a very white community wow. that opened my eyes up yeah. to that, you know, yeah. and- and the truth of the matter is this, this is a very uh, apolitical comment. So I, I mean, I'm not trying to, but there are, there for whatever reason, well, I, we know some of the reasons, but there is a rise in like anti-Asian and, and Asian hate crimes that are taking Oh, I mean, I talked about this in my book, Davey. Asian. The rise is like over a hundred percent. It is yes. absolutely an evil I mean, I I think it's demonic. I think it is an evil attack oh, against the children of God, specifically East right. Asian people, South Asian people as well, but specifically yep. in the middle of 2020, East Asian people. We know why it happened. Yep. I don't yep. even, it makes, I, I don't want to defend it. I think it's evil. I think it's wrong. I think it's demonic. And uh, she felt that in it her church is. experience. Yeah. 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 It absolutely is. And I, and, and honestly, because of the political stuff that is going on globally between specifically China yeah. and the United yeah. States and the global rise of those superpowers. I mean, we're, unf- I believe we're going to see this more often, mm, unfortunately. Yeah. So we as the church are going to have to be That's prepared. Right. We need to know how to deal with this in the same way we should have known how to deal with the race conversations back yeah. in 2020 with the yeah. George Floyd thing, but we didn't. We fumbled the ball yeah. with that. And so, you know, now I'll get passionate about it because I turned to Christy at one point and I was like, hey, are you, I'm concerned about that. Are you mm. concerned about this? You know, because this is very near and dear to me. And mm. so Tasha does a phenomenal job of illuminating this yeah, for us in yeah. um, just a very gracious yeah. way. Just like, hey, here was my experience. And I think it's very helpful for all of us to hear about yeah, this. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and, to, and to be very aware of, of yeah. what's going on in, 
iteration. Yeah. Cannot yeah. wait. Let's, uh, well, we'll invite you to do all the things we love inviting you to do. Be sure to like and follow us at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. Rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts to help others find these inspiring stories. But most of all, we just want to let you hear from Tasha June. So let's go ahead and take a listen to Davy's conversation with her. Tasha, it's so great to have you on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, I told you right before we started recording that I lament the fact that we weren't doing this in person because I just found <laughs> out that you hail from the same general town that I do. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you tell us a little bit about your family and, and what you do, and, and then I'd love to dive into this book that you've just released. And man, I'm so excited about this conversation because it's something yeah. that's, that's near and dear to my heart too. But go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so um, my husband and Matt and I have been married for almost 18 years. Um, and we've got three kids. They are, thir- or no, 14. Oh my goodness, he would be so <laughs> mad if I said up, that. isn't it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 14, 11, and eight. And um, we've lived here. Oh, I went to high school here. I went to college at IU and then um, did not live here for a while. And then my husband and I actually moved back um, when our oldest was about one. So mm. we've been here a little while now. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, you know, in this book, Tell Me the Dream Again, you are talking quite a bit about living between two worlds. And Mm -hmm. this is, like I said, very near and dear to my heart because it's something I was aware of, but wasn't so closely connected to until I married Christy. And then hearing some of her story and hearing some of her background, her mom being adopted out of an orphanage in South Korea. And then even growing up for Christy in the South side of Indianapolis, kind of feeling like she was, um, she was, she didn't know where she belonged, you know, being biracial. And so you have a very similar uh, journey. And so I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about some of that. Talk about what you've, you know, really are addressing in this book and where you found some of those, those tensions and those, um, those pain points as you were, as you were growing up trying to figure out where you fit in. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, when I was really young, you know, uh, my mom grew up in Korea. She um, immigrated to the States when she was in her 20s. Um, and when I was really young, I, it was just very clear to me and very normal that I have a Korean mom and a white dad, you know, who grew up in California. And I mean, from the way that our table spreads looked to just the way that they communicated, it was being biracial and having two worlds in the home was the norm. Um, It was more so when I went out into the world where I started to question, you know, is this normal? (laughs) You know, what my norm, my norm was like suddenly um, became something that I was very aware of. That, right. that, that it wasn't normal everywhere else. Um, and growing up when I, in my younger years, we moved all over. Um, we lived in California. I was born in California. We moved to New York, to Wisconsin. And then for most of my elementary school years, lived in Japan and then moved back to California. And so in all of those places, most of them at least, it was very diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until we moved from California to Indiana, right before I started high school, so to Noblesville, um, <laughs> where I experienced like the most culture shock of my life. Yeah. Um, and I think the age had something to do with it. Um, but that was the first time, you know, as I said, that when the outside world looked very different than what my norm was, that was the very first time I was really aware that my normal is not normal here. Mm. Um, and just became very, very... Um, insecure, wanted to hide from all of that. Um, and without even having like the language for it, it just was my body and, you know, my mental response was to hide. Um, 
And so there were a lot of reasons for that. I mean, I think my first day of school, I had people just come up to me in the hallway and say, and you might maybe experience some of this too. I think because being mixed, it's hard to tell sometimes, you know, what our ethnic makeup is, especially in a place that is very homogenous. And so, um, and was so even more at the time, but, um, you know, people that just were like, are you Mexican? Are you the new Mm -hmm. Chinese girl? You're from Hawaii. Um, Do you know how to surf? I mean, just really weird (laughs) questions that, you know, On the surface, just, I think they were curious, but I think the message, like, I'm just the message I took in is that, you know, it's okay for people to question me, to have questions and bring them to me um, based on my appearance and, and just, you know, just felt very othered. Mm. Um, And so, yeah. So, I mean, just started hiding um, as much as I could from that point on without even realizing that Mm. I was doing it. What, what did that hiding look like? I mean, how did that manifest itself? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there were a ton of little things that I look back on now and remember. I'm like, oh, I was, you know, really hiding there. In the prologue of the book, I um, kind of talk about when a friend wanted to come over and I was so nervous about having people come into my house. Mm. Um, and I mean, I did have friends that came over in high school, um, but I just, you know, I remember this person, this person was going to come over and looking around my house, trying to like open the fridge to make sure it didn't smell too much like kimchi. Cause I mean, mm. In, in our home, it was very Korean. You know, yeah, my mother, right. like, she always cooked Korean food. It was like a, it felt Korean there. Which um, is amazing. I mean, I... And, and it was normal. absolutely <laughs> love Korean food, by the way. Oh. And kimchi is so yeah. good for you, especially your it gut is, It is, it is, it is. <laughs> so, I mean, I just remember suddenly being nervous and looking around the room and noticing all the things that marked me yeah. and my family as Korean and wanting to hide it. And I couldn't get, I couldn't move enough of it. So I ended up saying, I have to do something. I can't hang out, you know? Right. Um, so there were just a lot of things like that, just trying to avoid that part right. being shown. Right. Yeah. You know, I, um, my wife tells some similar experiences too. I wish, I wish she was actually on this, this I know. call. You guys would really have such a great conversation <laughs> about this. We'll have to do this again and let you guys talk about this. But <laughs> I mean, she shared some stories with me about how she's sitting with a group of friends growing up and, um, you know, one of her friends has this aha discovery that she is half Korean and she mm-hmm. literally looks at her without even really just like spouts out of her mouth. Like, wait, I thought you were normal is what she said. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh, hold, hold on. Like, and yes. I, you know, and I hear you earlier, you said like, I'm sure that most of it was out of a genuine curiosity or just like a kind of an ignorance, you know, not yeah. in the pejorative sense of the term, just like being unaware, right? But right, right. But at the same time, like what you said, it can make, when you're on the receiving end, make you feel very other. Yeah. And, um, you know, as someone who's a, who is an, a white male, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it can be very, sometimes, especially like, you know, a few years ago during the George Floyd thing and all these conversations yeah. are coming up as we're talking about, okay, how do we step into this and experience life? through the lens of other people as well, without having lived life in their experience. I'm curious, as you reflect back on that, what were some ways that you wish people had engaged with you or had interacted with you? Um, I always, you know, tell people, I think you, you can tell when someone is being curious out of a desire to know you. Um, even if the words come out kind of funny, you know, you, mm. I feel like, I think that we can feel that, um, where there's a humility there, just a desire, like a curiosity, like, yes, I don't, this admittance that, yes, I don't know yeah. something, um, but I do want to know you. Um, and I mean, maybe in junior high and high school, you know, that's, we're still learning all that, right? right. Everyone. But, right. um, but I think there's a difference 
between that and feeling like you are very much on display. And um, I think that people feel, when, when people feel like they, you owe them an explanation for your existence or your appearance, I think that that feeling is so different. Mm. Um, it feels, I, I think that that's where the othering comes in. Um, yeah. And so I, I have never minded if someone is asking me something and it seems like they are just curious. Um, mm. And, you know, maybe just, they're okay with admitting the fact that they don't know something, you know? Right. So, and I think in some of those, some of those negative experiences too, um, where someone's curious, it, it's, it feels like they are admitting without knowing it that they have kind of taken in, um, maybe they don't even know how or where it's come from, but kind of taken in all these stereotypes and believe them. Like, yeah. you know, and so in the way that they address someone, it comes out, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> so it means saying, are you normal? Or I thought you were normal. Your wife's friend saying that just even like that underlying belief that there, there is a normal right. and that it's, you know, from their, their majority people group, you know? <laughs> right, so, right. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't help that we are already as in the United States of America, we're so geocentric, right? Just in terms of like our, uh, political, you know, outlook and our position globally and right. And so it just feeds into this, uh, really biased, um, you know, uh, type of ethos when it comes to white Americans, especially. And we just don't even, we have, we're so ignorant about Mm. how the, especially like in the church, the kingdom of God is really reflected. Yeah. And, Yeah. And I'm curious for you, you know, as being biracial, can you talk about maybe some of the even distinct tensions there of that you you know the and the distinct emotions that you felt uh in some ways seemingly in in two different or multiple different worlds and cultures yeah um well i mean i talk a lot about just you know like when we first went back to korea as as when i was a kid i went back thinking this is going to be home you know mm. This is the stuff that, you know, we eat, um, the stuff that we eat is going to be everywhere. And, you know, and it was an incredible to go and watch my mom navigate through the streets of Seoul, you know, yeah. bargaining with people in like street markets. And I had never seen that side of her huh. in her own language. So comfortable. So that was like, there was this beautiful piece to that. Um, there's this beautiful piece to feeling like, yes, this is all so familiar right. and it's, there's an abundance of it here. On the other hand, um, there were a number of things that happened that where, you know, there were locals, like there, there was an, a time where a bunch of like teenage Korean boys came up behind my sister and I were spitting on us um, Mm. because we were half Korean, you know, which was very much looked down upon um, because of the U.S.'s involvement in the war and just everything. (laughs) There's so many layers, right? So you were experiencing it from not just the United States, right? Americans, but you were experiencing it as well from, Yeah. And so I think experiencing that and feeling like, oh, I don't really belong here. Yeah. Um, but but I feel so at home. This is my home. So like this this desire, this tension of like wanting to prove that I belong mm. and also wanting to run away um, was very much present. So it, that that was really confusing. I think feeling like, gosh, I'm in this middle place. Uh, my sister and I, we don't fit anywhere. Um, and then even growing up and like, we didn't go to church, um, but we didn't go to church regularly, I should say. We had little spurts, but it was really hard because, you know, my mom felt most comfortable in a Korean church. Mm. Um, my sister, me, and my dad, none of us spoke Korean. And so at the time, if you went to a Korean church, you know, if you wanted English, you had to like wear headphones. 
Um, I don't know how it is now. I mean, it just probably depends on the area, but, Hmm. and then we would go to, you know, a more like Western style majority white church and my mom would go, but would never really fit in there. And so I think a lot of times we just didn't go. Um, It was just kind of painful, you know? And I think there was this wanting to blame like, whose fault was it you yeah. know, that we didn't fit in as a family? Yeah. You know, no one said that, but you just kind of felt it. And so I hated going. Mm. Um, I did not want to have anything to do with it because it was just so, it was so awkward. It was like our family just felt like a sore, you yeah. know? So yeah. I don't even know if I answered your question. I went no, off on a tangent. Absolutely. No, that but, makes so yeah. much sense. You know, both like trying to, you're straddled between two worlds and you're trying to figure yeah. out where do I belong? And I don't feel like I belong anywhere. Yeah. And then who's to blame for that? You know, I'm, you know, and to the degree that you feel comfortable sharing was, did that create any tensions or resentment within the, your family unit? I mean, and it, yeah. so how did you guys navigate that? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it was underlying and just, I mean, they, it would come out in really weird ways, but I mean, for a while it was really hard with my mom and I, um, cause I felt like anytime I started to feel like I belonged elsewhere, it was at the. I mean, no one knew that this was happening, really. Maybe they did. I don't know. But most of my friends didn't know. Um, But I felt like it was, it was, it was me cutting a part of myself out, which included my mom, you know? And so, um, yeah, it felt like there was just a break in our relationship. It was very difficult. And then when I got a little older and I would go closer to her, um, I felt very defensive of her. And so if Mm. I was ever in a situation where I felt like someone was doing something, um, you know, that, that, that could be stereotypical or racist or hurtful towards her. I felt very like there would be a wall um, that would immediately go up. So, um, but I think the the hardest thing was that it affected my relationship with my mom. So for years we weren't close and I think I I blamed her, you know, even though it wasn't her fault, (laughs) you know? And so, yeah. And that, that's kind of like where there's a lot of pain for me. Like I look back and think like, gosh, like, and we are now a lot closer. Um, there has been a lot of mending, but um, when I think about all of those years, I'm like, gosh, I missed out on a lot, like having right. her close to me as I was growing and, you know, becoming an adult, you know. Hey, friends, with as many of you guys who are listening to this each week, I know so many of you are carrying a heavy weight of pain and loss. Your story has not gone the way that you thought it was going to go. And when we, when we start to process what's happening in our lives, we can often find ourselves paralyzed by the pain, not really knowing where to go from here, what to do from here. And uh, you know, I know from experience that we even begin to, to tell ourselves lies like, this is the end of your story, that this will always define you. And trust me, I've been there. But with the help of others, I was able to navigate my way out of that valley. And nothing is wasted ministries. We exist to help you navigate your pain and even find purpose from that pain. So if you're new to our community and you're wondering where to start or you've been with us for some time and you're just looking to take your next step, I'm hosting a free live call just for you. In that call, we're going to talk about the five steps to taking back your story, no matter what you've gone through. I'm going to share with you a little more of my own journey of how God met me in my valley and guided me after losing my wife, Amanda. And I'm going to teach you five critical steps that you'll have to take in order to rewrite your story. The call is going to be right at 60 minutes long, but I promise you, it's going to be well worth your time because in it, you'll learn things like how to regain a sense of agency and begin thriving, not just surviving, but thriving in the midst of your trying circumstances. Why having more questions than answers may be an essential part of moving forward. 
how to get rid of the overwhelming negative emotions that tend to bog you down and get you stuck. We're going to talk about the one key decision that you're going to have to take in order to move through your pain and, and beyond it. How to listen to the right voices with when everyone seems to have an opinion on what you quote unquote should do next. And listen to me, a whole lot more. So if you're feeling weighed down or paralyzed by the pain you've experienced, you don't have to stay there. I want to be your guide and show you the way back to thriving. Just go to nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash start here to sign up for this free live call. Or if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, just click the link at the bottom in the show notes. We've made it extremely easy for you to sign up and we're offering multiple date and time options for this live call to work with your calendar. Guys, I believe this one step could be the very breakthrough you need to put you on the redemptive path God has for you. Just open up your browser on your phone right now and go to nothingiswasted.com slash start here or click the link we've included in the show notes of this episode. I'm in your corner and I can't wait to connect with you soon. You know, we, we often are talking about some of the racial divides between um, white Americans and Americans of of color, specifically black, right? That's yeah. what gets um, discussed quite a bit in public forums or private forums. But, you know, what I've discovered is that, especially like, um, you know, uh, in, Americans of Asian descent, with that, that racial bias doesn't get discussed very much either. Yeah. And um, I've been trying to observationally, especially as we're as I'm now like married to Christy and kind of seeing some of that and my eyes are being open to some of that, mm. trying to go like, why is that? You know, what's the, mm. like, why is that not being talked about? You know, and recently we've been seeing some things in the news of Asian hate crimes and things that are happening yeah. and occurring. And, 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 and of course, you know, the narrative is in a lot of ways connecting it to, to COVID and to, you know, d- different right, or, right. who's culpable for that. Is it, is, is it China? Like, and without getting into politics, I'm just, I'm, right. I'm curious if you have any kind of like insight into why does it seem like we talk about this with, with one race, but we're not really having the conversation when it comes to uh, Asian Americans or Hispanic descent or, you know, all of right, these other right. minorities that also make up, you know, the, 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 the fabric of who we are as, as Americans. Right. Yeah. Um, I am not an expert by any means, but, um, and I think, you know, some of these things are kind of blanket statements, but um, Asian Americans have often been called like the model minority um, in, in such a way that um, is really damaging um, mm. because I think um, a lot of us, and honestly, um, Asian Americans are the my, most diverse group of you know, ethnic, ethnicities, like there's so many and we're so different. We're so different, like economically, like everything is, is really diverse, but a lot of times, you know, people are only focused on East Asians as, you know, the, the kind of face of Asian America. Right. Um, and we're kind of known to kind of, you know, I think the message has been given to a lot of us, um, not all, but a lot of us to, you know, put your head down, assimilate, um, try to be invisible, Um, which plays into whether or not we're showing up in those race conversations or even just sharing our stories. Um, And then if you look at the history of Asian America, and I always recommend um, the PBS documentary, Asian Americans. Um, It's phenomenal Mm. just talking about Asian American history. Um, 
yeah, it's just, it's phenomenal. Yeah. It covers so much, but it really talks a lot about just even in the beginnings, you know, there was the Chinese Exclusion Act, um, which was, you know, the only law put into place that directly targeted like an entire ethnic group. And we weren't, you know, Chinese Americans weren't allowed to come to the U.S., um, were, were banned um, from it. And even, and this was, you know, and then also like the, the Chinese railroad workers that, you know, built, helped build the railroads. And then, and I write about this in my book, there's this photo. And I, I as I was watching the documentary, the PBS documentary, you know, there's this photo that was taken and all the Chinese men were cut out of it. And so I just feel like it plays into this, like we can erase them. They're going to be quiet. They're going to oh work hard, um, which is such a stereotype, right. but yeah just plays into this invisibility. And I think um, a lot of our either parents or their parents were kind of told, you know, to survive, you're going to have to be quiet and just put your head down yeah. and just try to blend in, which yeah. you can't, <laughs> but, you know, just do that as much as you can. And so then we have this model <laughs> minority thing that's come out from it, um, which I think some people, some Asian Americans want to play into because it feels safe. Mm. Um, but it really is kind of used to kind of pit us against other minority groups. And it's just, can, super can you explain that a little bit? The model minority? Yeah, um, I think it comes up in politics a lot and I don't even, I don't want to get into all that, but it, right. it, it just comes up in general as like, you know, Asian Americans, they're going to come and try to assimilate as much as they can, mm. um, into the majority culture. Um, they're going to work really hard, not cause any problems, you know, be model citizens. Um, so that we can continue to let them come here. You know what I mean? Like um, they're gotcha. gonna, yeah, play by all the rules. Yeah, yeah. You so know? in some, it seems like there's some messaging that's coming out from yeah. sectors of politics or, you know, culture that's saying this This is the example of what a minority should look like and how right. they should behave, right. so to speak, when they are assimilating into United States yeah. culture. Wow. yeah. And so I think yeah. there are some that feel safe in that, yeah. you know, yeah. but then I think others, you know, and I experienced this just a tiny bit, like the minute I started to express anything or show any anger or just grief, it's like, that's bad, you know, cause that's yeah. causing a ruffle. And, um, so yeah, it, it, it's hard. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, we talk a lot about here on the podcast, how important it is to talk about grief and express that and lament and, you know, yeah for many of our situations, you know, the tragedies or the trauma that we're walking through, it's not necessarily, I mean, there are definitely a lot of situations where people are, are being told you, you don't need to talk about that. Right. And so right. for whatever reason, the propensity for many of us is to stuff it or suppress it, or just kind of like put our head down yeah. and keep going. And there's a variety of different reasons for that. You bring up a really interesting nuance that I hadn't really thought about, but you know, from the standpoint of you trying to express that in terms of just feeling like you don't belong because yeah. of your ethnicity. And so how have you begun to, if you have, how have you begun to like sort through that and find those spaces to be able to express that grief? Yeah. Um, you know, it's been over a long period of time. Um, I was just telling someone the other day, you know, in high school, when I was in this period of just hiding, I had an English assignment due and I was like, procrastinating and finally just wrote something. And I was really upset about something. I don't even remember what, but I was upset about something that had to do with living there. Mm. And I wrote it really angrily. And I never did that, you know, yeah. um, maybe in my journal, but I never did that um, in a public way to express mm. it. So I just turned it in. Because you were a um, model minority. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> turned it in. And then my teacher, you know, like a couple days later, I saw him standing at the front, you know, talking, like he was handing our, our papers back. And I saw him hold on to mine. 
And I was like, oh my gosh, he's going to, like, this is going to like really be terrible, you know, but he ended up really affirming, um, I guess the honesty in it. And I was mortified because I mean, he read like a line of it. He didn't read the whole thing at the time. I was like, thank God. But um, it did something in me. I think it did something in me to kind of say, writing is a safe space for you. Um, Hmm. And I knew that kind of in my journals, but I think I even held back some in my journals. So this one was just really raw. I feel like it was almost God that had me just turn it in because I don't think, I look back, I'm like, I can't believe I turned that in. Um, But it did something for me in saying, there are people who will receive your raw anger, um, that it's not all bad. And so it, it took years, I think for me, to keep doing that, but it was this message. It was this marker for me that was like, okay, this is not all bad. Expressing what you're really feeling is not all bad. There's something good there. And I didn't think much beyond that. Um, And then later in college, I started writing. And every time I would write in, you know, creative writing classes, a lot of it was fiction, but of course, you know, even in fiction, the truth comes out, like what you're going through comes out, the emotion comes out. And it was again really affirming, and so I think it was this message: these are there are safe places. Um, writing was the tool and the path for me to really get it out because I didn't feel comfortable saying things, you know, face to face at the time. Um, and I think it was really healing for me. Um, a lot of those environments were not Christian environments; they were, you know. So that was that was something I had to kind of wrestle with. Wow. Like, why is this so hard in faith environments? Why is it? Why do? Why does everyone want me to tidy up my story or not tell it? Wow. You know, unless I haven't have it fixed or I, I feel total peace, you know. Um, and I wasn't there and I'm still, <laughs> you know, there's still a lot of pain. So anyway, um, the more recently and and throughout the pandemic, I have started gathering a group of Asian American women. Um, mm. that was kind of out of desperation of just feeling like with my kids, when I had my kids, like I need other Asian moms, like um around my kids. Like not that that other women couldn't, I had a a plethora of others and they're wonderful, but I really felt this need. Like, how do I, how do I pass on what I have to my kids? And I had no one. So, um, so I started gathering these women and I found that um, we met outside once and we just had a time of lament. Um, We were all feeling pains about, you know, different things. Some of our kids had, you know, had been spit on, um, called names like um, Chink, even though they're not Chinese and not that it would be okay if they were, but just, you know, because of what was going on with COVID. Um, And a lot, we're all like from like seven different churches in the greater Indianapolis area. And we were just going through a lot of pain and we felt really alone in it. um, Because it's like, we couldn't bring it up because people would say we're being political or, just yeah, didn't well. even, people didn't even know that this was, this was happening. Um, and so we had a time of lament and just kind of expressed our pain. And so that was verbal, but it was so necessary like mm. to do that together in community, to have a space where we were just open with our grief and um, and it was okay, you know, and no one was going to tidy it up or like say, you know, everything happens for a reason or, you know, yeah. like, you know, yeah. we could just sit in it and be together. Um, and I, that was also just another moment of like, okay, this is a, a moment of shalom, hmm. a, a step towards wholeness um, for all of us. And this is like, this is church, you know, wow. in my backyard, this is yeah. church. So, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing, Tasha. Hey friend, I want to share with you one of my absolute favorite resources from Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. It's the Pain to Purpose 42-Day Devotional. This devotional is a beautiful 42-day journey through life's valleys 
with biblically-based encouragement to help you or someone you love navigate the difficulties of life. Each week, you'll learn from the journey of a major character in Scripture and be able to reflect on how that impacts your own story and whatever you're facing. From Job to David, Ruth to Jesus himself, you'll see how God has taken the most dire of circumstances and brought healing and redemption from the ashes. This devotional makes a great gift for the person who is walking through a recent loss or trauma or who carries the wounds from pain in their past. It's something that you can keep on hand to give to someone who is experiencing any kind of pain point, and it's a great addition to your daily time with the Lord. For just $25, you can get one for yourself or gift it to a friend. For our Nothing Is Wasted podcast listeners, we want to offer you 20% off your entire order of the devotional, whether it's one or whether it's 20, using the coupon code PODCAST. Again, 20% off your entire order of devotionals using the coupon code PODCAST. Grab a copy today of the Pain to Purpose 42-Day Devotional at nothingiswasted.com slash devo, D-E-V-O, nothingiswasted.com slash devo. Be encouraged by it yourself or encourage someone else in their journey through life's valleys. Again, nothingiswasted.com slash devo. You know, it's interesting that you say that uh, what you've experienced with the church in, when in regards to, you know, your journey is um, until you're until until your story is all tidied up and it's not yeah <laughs> messy anymore or if it is messy then you've got at least you've got peace about it you know mm-hmm. there's really not a forum here to talk about it and we've definitely experienced that in all different mm-hmm. fronts of pain you know that that the church for whatever reason struggles with the uncomfortability of yeah. expressing pain that is not quote unquote resolved or mm-hmm. redeemed as we yeah. would put it in church terms you know uh, or somehow, you know, we're not in it anymore. And so we end up telling our stories on, or we or we don't tell our stories when we're in the middle of it. Right, right. And it, and it can become very isolating for so many people. And so mm-hmm. what ends up happening is people tend to go outside of the church to find healing yeah. and wholeness. Yeah. And then, and then they come back into the church. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that doesn't sit right with me. Mm-hmm. I know it doesn't sit right with you. As someone who's a pastor, that's that's something that I'm like, man, we've got to change. We've got to figure out how this is not the culture or the reputation of the church. Yeah. How does healing happen inside of it? How, do, how are yeah. people able to express this and lament inside the church and the church holds space for that? In your experience, what would you say? Uh, if you were sitting in front of a panel of pastors, you know, <laughs> we were just at a pastor's conference last week, Tasha, where okay. we- where you know we have a course called Pain to Purpose. We launch it in churches all over. Mm-hmm. It, it is an effort to help the church create environments where healing can be fostered, mm-hmm. where people can come share their stories and talk about it. And we had 145 churches last week that oh. said, we want to launch this course, which is amazing, mm-hmm. right? But it shows you there's a huge need. Well, imagine oh. you're sitting in front of these 40, 145 <laughs> pastors yeah. and you want to really bring to light like, hey, here's, here's what I've observed when it comes to the church, my own experience, like, what would you say to them? What, and and, and mm. how would you help them to maybe make those adjustments or those shifts? Yeah. Um, I think, well, first I would bring up lament, just the importance of lament. Um, and I think a lot of churches are catching on to the importance of it, but it's like this quick mention yeah. or um, 
like a sermon or two on it. Um, and I think I've experienced as I did, you know, in my backyard, that lament is also worship mm-hmm. um, and that it's a, it's a pathway towards intimacy with God. And I think. Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but isn't it interesting yeah. that we don't have like a lot of worship songs that reflect lament? Right. Right. You know, like everything that we Bible. sing is typically like <laughs> triumph or, I you know, know, everything. It always like, resolves itself. All the songs seem to resolve themselves on yes. some point, but there's like, where's the one that's just like this. I mean, right. everything is coming down on me right now. Right. Well, and there's so much in the Bible. So it's not like we don't have a guide. Like there's yeah. so much lament. Um, so I think for, for one, like, like focusing on that and really like giving space for that and kind mm-hmm. of guiding people through that. Um, you know, like the thing that we had in our backyard, it was so simple. We had like one quick mm-hmm. liturgy and then there was just space. Cause I think grief and lament need space and time mm-hmm. and it's going to take the time it takes, you know? Um, and so, but there's such a fear of that. So maybe even addressing the fear of sitting in it. I don't know mm-hmm. how old you are, if you've seen never ending story or oh, if yeah. like, Okay, oh, yeah. so where the horse, um, you know, where the horse drowns mm-hmm. and the and he, and he never comes back up. Yeah. Like that was so painful to watch as a yeah. child. Um, but I think about, I think the fear for a lot of people is that if they sit in there for lament for any amount of time, that they'll they won't they won't come back up, that there's no way out. Um, but I think the opposite is probably true. <laughs> Not the opposite, but I just think covering it up is is going to be worse, you know, yeah. like in the long run, um, more painful in the long run. Um, so I think addressing that fear, because we all have it, um, right. I think every, everyone's afraid of, no one wants to be sad or, you know, um, and I'm yeah. even like melancholy bent, but like, I don't, I still don't want to sit in things, you know? Yeah. Um, so addressing that fear, like we're all in this together, we can be scared together in it, um, that that's okay. And then also, um, I guess really doing the work to study how they can like make it um, lead in that way, maybe lead in lament mm. and also give space for it. So that's good. I just, and there's a lot out there. And also I think too, like looking at some, you know, global ways of doing things, you know, because it's, mm. I don't think everyone has just victory songs all the time, you know, at right. church. I think that there are maybe other places where they sit in that a little bit better and we can learn yeah. from them. So Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, um, you know, I mean, just as an example of that, anecdotally, I, my dad grew up in Haiti as a missionary's kid. Okay. And I remember when he took me back there, I watched a funeral procession. You know, we're driving mm-hmm. down the road and I saw this funeral procession and I saw like this group of women who were just wailing Yes. Behind this funeral procession. And then I discovered that that was, it's part of their culture. It's like, they actually have a set group of people, which actually then later learned that that reflects even Jewish culture, that the the sitting Shiva, that there was a set group of people that would come and just weep on behalf of, you know, the loved ones that lost their loved one. And so it, it's, it's like other cultures understand it better than us, but for whatever Mm. reason are, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and yep. keep going kind of Western American mindset just keeps us yeah. from, from sitting in that, in, in the, in the time, in the space that we need to sit in it. Right. Like weeping right. well yeah. without wallowing and finding yeah. that tension there. You know? Yeah. It was actually part of another book collaboration led by Natasha Sistrunk Robinson. Um, okay. It's called Voices of Lament. So I have a poem in there, mm. um, but it's a collection of liturgies and essays and she starts it with talking about, um, it's all like liturgies and essays and poems based on Psalm 37. But she also starts the beginning talking about how, you know, 
in Jeremiah, it says that the wailing women were going to lead their people yeah. through this yeah. grief. And those were the, those were going to be the leaders. Yeah. And so I, that's just such a Whew. weird thing in our culture. Right. But, yeah, wow. um, uh, but that, that's what would lead that wailing. You mentioned yeah. wailing. So I thought of that. That's but, so good because yeah. you know, it's, it's the, it's a picture of the upside down kingdom. Yeah. Right. It's the picture of, it's the same. It's, I, I get the same image when I see, Oh, we're, you know, in second Chronicles, they're going to put the worshipers on the front lines of the yeah. battle. It's like, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever rationally. Right. <laughs> like how is this going to lead us? Not, but scripture says not by power or by might. Mm-hmm. And so you've got this upside down kingdom that says, no, we're going to like, we're going to lean into the Lord and his yeah. strength and his provision and all of this. And that's what lament does is it opens us up to, to let God step in mm-hmm. to our pain. Yeah. And I'm curious, you know, even as I say that, where, where you have been seen, where have you seen God really step in to mm. this in your story? Yeah. What are some, you know, cause I imagine there's a lot in your story of wrestling through identity. And I believe mm-hmm. at the core, everybody's journey with the Lord is a journey of identity. Yeah. It just takes on different <laughs> shapes and forms. Yep. What, what's yours been like in that? Um, so I think when, when I first started growing in my faith, um, I was still very much resistant to that whole side of me, the whole Korean side of me. Mm. Um, and then I kind of came to a crossroads like um, after college, like, you know, we were in full-time ministry at the time or I was, I guess I should say, my husband and I weren't married yet. Um, working overseas um, and telling people that God loves them, you know, mm. <laughs> working with college students overseas. And I, in the back of my mind and this crossroads that I was at kept coming, coming to the forefront of my heart and my mind. And, and it was... Um, do I really believe that? Because there's this whole part of me that's that's hidden, you know, that I'm not willing mm. to face or embrace. And so if I'm telling people that God loves all of them, but I don't even know that, I haven't even experienced that fully yet because I'm not willing to embrace that part of myself or even yeah. just, you know, bring it, like, like show up whole. Yeah. Um, and so I kept coming to that place and it really led me down this long journey of, you know, looking back at scripture Mm. seeing God meeting people um, in their pain, but also, you know, in identity crisis. Like one of the biggest ones was Moses for me and just really seeing how God, you know, he doesn't just brush that aside and say, your identity is in Christ now. So none of that matters. You know, you can just erase it or just pretend like it's not there and be unified with others. It's, Mm. you know, no, he actually cares enough about all of those tiny details. Um, One of the things that really got me was when, um, God was, you know, telling Moses like um, that he is the son of, hmm. you know, this Hebrew father, like addressing his first family. Um, hmm. It just, wow. it really struck me. And then there's a lot more to that, obviously, in his life of identity, you know. Hmm. Um, but I guess seeing God in that way and then starting to bring myself to different situations, like yeah. when we were, when I was overseas making Korean food. Um, no one knew how much of a big deal it was, but it was a really big deal for me. And then having community around that and feeling like, okay, God is very much in this and I feel alive. Like mm. I feel very alive in this in this situation because this is who I was created to be, you know, and I'm bringing wow. my whole self. Um, so a, a number of those things where it was just so confirming that God was with me in such an intimate way um, and down to all these, these details um, and that he yeah. had always been with me. Um, when I had looked back, even like when we weren't going to church as a family, thinking about the ways that he was pursuing me through TV, through, I mean, yeah. through so many things, through friends. Um, and so um, I think just, so him, knowing him as Emmanuel, 
mm. and not just with me, like like in in presence, but also in the, the details that you know he has intentionally and lovingly put in in me. Um, so that's kind of just changed everything. That's brought a lot of healing. That doesn't mean every situation is easy. Um, there's tons of tensions in our world Absolutely. and so hard, right? But um, right. it's it's brought a groundedness and an embrace that I didn't experience um, until yeah. I was an adult. So that's what's so interesting about you know we talked earlier about the church wanting our, your story not to be so messy and resolving it and stuff. And it's like our stories continue to go on until the day that we die, mm-hmm. and so they're going to continue to be messy, right? Yeah. There's just new faith steps that we take or new places of healing that we find and wholeness. Um, but I love the distinction there that you just underscored that this was a, this was a, a moment where you embraced it, mm. right? Like it was, mm-hmm. that's like even further than just acceptance. Acceptance yeah. almost has this connotation of like, okay, well, you know, I'm just gonna, fine, right. I'll just, I'll accept it. And almost a resentfulness within that acceptance, but embracing it going, this yeah. is my story and this is who I am and I'm going to mm-hmm. embrace it. And I think that, that in and of itself is probably the 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 basis for wholeness to take place more than mm-hmm. anything else. It's just mm-hmm. going, Lord, this is this is the life that you gave me. And rather yeah. than hiding or being resentful, I'm gonna embrace that and see the beauty and the mystery within it. Yeah. And then where you yeah. where you are in it. Yeah. It's so cool. That's so cool. Yeah. The um, you know, you share a little bit about in, in the book you shared and we, and you, you touched on it earlier, you alluded to it, but I, I want to, if you don't mind, I want to dive deeper into this. You talk about the kind of the healing journey between you and your mom. Mm. And I wonder what that that's been like for you. I think a lot of people could probably relate to that. You know, as yeah. we grow up, we begin to understand more about our family of origin and, right. you know, there are the, there's the generational curses and sin cycles. And, you know, we sit around with some of our small group and and they're talking about, you know, I'm discovering as I'm discovering myself and I'm discovering why I do certain things. And then it's, it's having to sort through like not being resentful toward your parents about those particular things. You know, you've got a unique story in that with trying to figure out where you belong and, you know, and, and that creating a little bit of, as you said, resentment before, but now you guys have really found some healing. What's that, what was that journey like to just to find that healing with each other? Yeah. um, It was a lot of crying. Yeah. I mean, I used to, I mean, with the hiding, I used to hide all emotion, um, mm. and, which is so funny because I'm definitely like very feely. <laughs> um, but it, it's a lot of crying. Um, you know, there was a moment where um, I was in a bookstore and I wrote about it in the book where I found this Korean cookbook and it was talking about myoguk, which is seaweed soup. And mm. um, my mom had tried to, she had always tried to make it for me and I never liked it. Um, or at least I just felt like it was too weird um, yeah. when I was younger. And it's something that Korean mothers give their Korean daughters um, when they give birth. It's supposed to be healing, you know, after mm. birth. And my mom made it for me and I had a couple of sips. And then when she was gone, I dumped the whole thing down the drain, like just mm. the whole pot. Um, and I remember feeling a little bit guilty. But then when I found this cookbook, um, there was this whole spread about the soup and the significance of it. I'm stand, I'm like standing in a Barnes and Noble. I think we're visiting, my husband's from California. So we're visiting his family and I have a stroller, you know, our first part is in the stroller and I am weeping uncontrollably mm. because it's like, I knew that it was special, but I think to read it, um, to read 
this woman who I didn't even know, right? Talking about right. the significance of it and how it had been done for generations and generations, like thousands and thousands. And here I am dumping it down the drain. You wow. know? Um, and so then later, I don't know if I if we talked about this, but later um, our, our youngest is adopted from South Korea, actually. Okay, and so, yeah. And wow. so when we went, um, and this was part of this whole process. So I think I, after that, I apologized to her and I'm like calling her crying. I'm like, I'm sorry, oh. I never <laughs> ate this soup. You know, she's like, oh my gosh, you know what is going on? <laughs> she's, <laughs> so she's like, pull yourself together. You know, you got to take care of your son. <laughs> um, and so, and then I tried to, you know, just slowly would try to like have it if it was ever around, you know, because I was like, I want to experience this. Maybe I'll decide that I don't really like it, but I've never even given it a chance, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I liked Korean food then, but it was like the Korean food that everyone liked, you know? <laughs> you right, know, right. anyway, so we're on the plane to go Korean get barbecue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The stuff that seems normal. You know? Right, right. Um, so we're on the plane to get our daughter. And when you fly to Korea, the, if you fly Korean air, it's like amazing. And they, mm -hmm. um, the food, of course, is amazing. Mm. It's not like, I don't know, typical airplane food, but what, there was this bowl and um, there was steam like coming out of just a crack of it. And I opened it and it was the soup. Mm. And it was really. I don't know. It was this moment where I was like, this is, this is your time, you know, to, this is our, our third kid. We're, we're, we're adopting her. It's a totally different way of yeah. bringing her into our family. And this is something that you need to fully ingest because now you're moving even closer to Korea because, wow. you know, she is Korean, fully Korean, and you're not going to like erase that, you know, in any way like you did with yourself. And so that, this is all the stuff going on in my head. So I just remember I had this moment where I'm drinking, like just guzzling it down even though I don't think Koreans usually lift up the bowl, but I just <laughs> guzzled it down. Um, and it very much felt like the spiritual experience with the Lord and and even healing with my, my mom wasn't there, um, but it felt like there was something that God needed to do in me, even for us, her and yeah. our, our relationship. So that changed things a little bit. Um, and I think it's more of a, you know, when she's offering something, I am receiving it in a different way, you know, and right. kind of like how you talked about the difference between acceptance and embrace. It's, mm. it's kind of living that out now. Um, and it doesn't mean our relationship is perfect, but it's different. It's definitely different. Yeah. So. Mm. Tasha, that's beautiful. Wow. Mm. What, a, what an incredible, like visceral experience Yeah. to be yeah. on an airplane on the way over to South Korea and, and, and take that yeah. moment uh, to commemorate I mean, yeah. it's like God just goes, Whoo. I love the fact that God does that, right? It's not, I, know. It's, I mean, yes, he absolutely shows up when we're sitting yeah. down in our quiet time and reading our Bible, of course, right. right? But there's some really cool moments where he shows up in this very kinesthetic way where it's like, we're just on the journey and it just hits us and we're like, right, oh. right. You know, it's yeah. almost the very opposite of a trigger in some ways. Like yeah. it's, the, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. this healing trigger where he's like, yeah. hey, step into this, embrace this. And there's mm -hmm. going to be something really visceral that happens. There. Yeah. It's it felt so cool. really merciful. Like just, mm. you know, that, I mean, after all that I had been like and acted like, like just so merciful and so kind. Um, and just, you know, it's like he has so much belief that we can, so much belief in us that, you know, we can right. move towards wholeness and, and, to receiving our belovedness, you know? Wow. So, wow. Yeah. So cool. Well, you know, one of the things I was, I was thinking about this in the middle of our conversation that, um, and maybe I'm being presumptuous, but, um, I, I think one of the errors that we make as white Americans is just to like, not listen and hear what our brothers and sisters, um, that are quote unquote minorities in our midst 
that they're, that they're saying. And mm. so I know I maybe I'm making a little bit more of this than what I should. I should just ask the question. But as we close, I just want to know if there's anything else that you want to say. Like, mm. I just want to give you that voice, you know? Is there anything else that you're <laughs> like, hey, I just, it, it, just to be seen and understood and help yeah. other people feel seen and understood, what, what else mm-hmm. would you want us to know? Mm. I mean, something I say in the book is that our stories were made to matter to one another. And so mm. I think that as we look at our communities, as we look at the things that we read, um, obviously I write books, so books are on my mind, but but this is, you know, in your kids' communities all around you. Like, I think it's really important to ask what's missing. Um, not that we can all go find everything that's missing, but just to ask the question and let God um, answer that, you know. Um, I think yeah. there are stories that that are missing in, um, in all of our lives and that when we move towards them, we are doing something very sacred um, and, and, and very much in line with what God does. So um, I would just say not to be afraid to ask that question um, and to really think about what it means um, if our stories are meant to matter to one another, um, Mm. what that means in light of what's going on in our world right now, in light of what's going on in our nation, in our community, you know, in our neighborhood, on the neighborhood app, you know, I mean, what is that? How does that impact, you know, how we respond to those things? Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. Tasha, this has been wonderful. I want to make sure everybody has an opportunity to pick up. Tell me the dream again. Reflections on family, ethnicity, and the sacred work of belonging. Um, and so if you have enjoyed this conversation, you're going to really enjoy this book. Tasha dives a lot deeper into some of the things that we've talked about and more. And um, so we'll make sure that we put that in the show notes and we'll put it on the podcast page there so you guys can access that really easily. But Tasha, thank you so much. This has been just a wonderful time to hear from you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and thank you to everyone who's listening. Well, Tasha Juna's like my secret best friend. She doesn't know it. <laughs> she doesn't know it. I'm coming for I'm coming for you, Tasha. <laughs> oh goodness. Goodness. I'm telling you, you know, um recently Chris and I have been talking a lot about uh her South Korean roots. Mm. And I told you this when we were off air. Yeah. But her mom, you know, if you've listened to Christy's story, you know, in episode 100 of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, she shares a bit of it and mm. picked up that her mom was adopted out of an orphanage in South, Seoul, South Korea. So she was left at a doorstep when she was a baby and then grew up wow. in this orphanage until she was 10 and adopted by an American family. Wow. Brought into the United States. And uh, her mom's just the sweetest lady ever. I mean, just, mm. uh, she like literally just left our house right now. Just the sweet, servant hearted. I mean, wow. Like, I don't know what I would do without her mom. She's just so, so precious. But wow. because of her, uh, because she doesn't know much about her heritage because of her. Because of her mom being adopted. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, so we've just started having conversations like, mm. we want to go over to Seoul or we want to try to figure yeah. out if there's any family members that we could, you know. Wow. So we're, I, she's Christy's mentioned this to me like three times. Oh yeah, you need days. to do it. So you I'm need like, to do I it. I think we probably need to figure this out. And I, I told you, like, I want to go for no. This is not a meaningful reason, but I'm a huge K drama fan. Like, all I watch is <laughs> Korean dramas on Netflix. Literally, I mean, I'm not joking. That's all I watch. So uh, I, I just want to like selfishly go with you. Well, but, come on, but to be serious, <gasps> to I love it. South Korea. <laughs> but to be, I mean, to make it serious, that's similar to Tasha's story. Yeah, like her, yeah. her, you know, um, I don't know, you know. I don't want to ruin the book for people, but a lot of her story was some of the family history was gone right. and her having to 
kind of reconnect with her her Koreanness right. when a lot of the past was lost. So yeah. I could understand Christie's desire to to go there and explore. Yeah, you yeah. know where she's from. I think that matters. I think that's so important. Well, there's something that is so uh, pivotal in terms of like this idea of belonging and you know when you know your story, when you know where mm. you can come from. Yeah, when it's a mystery. Mm. you can feel very orphaned. Yeah. Right? Even right. if you know, okay, this is my family of origin and it's bad. I'm not, I'm not proud of it. Right. Mm-hmm. You still feel like there's something concrete there. Yeah. Right. But when it's a right. mystery, it's like, I don't, I don't even know. Yeah. Know? It's like your foundations off your footings off. Like where, where am I from? Where do I come from? What are the stories I carry with me in my body and in my blood and in my skin? And in my, you know, right. I think, I think that's really intriguing and important work to do. Yeah, you know, Tasha talks a lot about this idea of collective mm. lament. Yeah. And, you know, particularly dealing with race. I mean, race. We, yeah. We, Racism. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about this, you know, back in 2020 when we were walking through the George Floyd thing. We've mm-hmm. had multiple guests since then to talk mm-hmm. really about um, both uh, racial trauma and collective lament surrounding racism. Yeah. yeah. You know, we've not talked from this angle of, you know, Asian American hate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but that's one of the things you you really talk quite a bit about, uh, especially in the louder song and some things that your other mm-hmm. you know, some of your other writing and, and teaching that you do, Aubrey, is this yeah. mourning collectively, you know. Yeah, which is, and I, it, which is biblical. And I think yes. that's maybe like unfortunately this the conversation, the anti-racism conversation has been co-opted by politics. And therefore, I think Christians who have been called by God to do anti-racist work don't, unfortunately, yeah. because they yeah. think they're being partisan or, or bipartisan or what have you. And I think yes. that's an attack of the enemy. I think that's the enemy um, keeping Christians from... Um, collectively mourning and grieving and fighting for justice in ways yep. that really are godly and beautiful and good. Yep. And l- lament, I mean, you know, people probably at Nothing Is Wasted heard me give my lament talk. Lament is is simply, uh, an, it, uh, scripturally it's called an impolite plea. It, we see all throughout the Bible, lament is crying wow. out to God with impolite, difficult questions. And the yep. concept behind biblical lament is that God is the judge meaning God is the only arbiter of justice who is fair. And therefore in lament, we cry out to the only judge who can do something about the injustice we see in this world, experience in this world. And especially, you know, I'm going to talk for those of us um, in in power and for those of us in primarily white spaces, um, we need to take that charge seriously on behalf of our brothers and sisters who are minorities in this country. And that doesn't mean we do it as white saviors. Absolutely not. That's a mistake. That's the opposite of lament. But to say, I'm going to carry your pain with me and it's going to matter to me. I'm going to hear your story and I'm going to learn from it. And then I'm going to go to the judge who can do something about it with you. Like together as brothers and sisters, we are going to cry out before God and ask for something to change in this nation, in our worlds, in our communities, in our churches. And that's biblical. Like, I think that's what people don't understand is that's what every prophetic lament throughout scripture was a collective lament. Not yep. we we're so individual in the West in our faith and that matters. Oh, this goodness. is what nothing is wasted about. Like God meets us in our individual pain and our heartache, but biblical lament, just like the biblical yep. faith 
is meant to happen collectively and communally. And so when you're reading laments throughout Psalm 13, when you're reading the book of Lamentations, when you're reading Jeremiah's lament, when you're reading, I guess that's Lamentations, but other laments in scripture, that is the the lamenting prophet lamenting on behalf of hurting people. Right, right. And so it's biblical to join with people who are hurting and cry out collectively. And that might look like you're doing a prayer march through your city against yeah. racism. That might mean that your church is holding a night of lament where you just yeah. cry out to God together and and sing hard songs and listen to hard stories and ask for God to do something. That might mean just a posture of listening to those who have been the butt of, especially the Asian American population since 2020, like the butt yeah. of just awful violence that we, yeah. we cannot stand before God and be okay with. That's right. Um, anyway, I, I'm very passionate about lament. I could yeah. talk about this forever, but I just think that I think we've been malformed and misled to believe that lament is the opposite of faith when actually lament yes. is part of the historical Orthodox global faith, right. church of Jesus, and has been forever. And Jesus himself lamented. Yep. So yep. it's a beautiful way to invite God to meet us in our heartache and in our pain. And those of us who carry grief and most of our Nothing is Wasted listeners, mm-hmm. you we know you have walked through grief or you're walking with somebody in grief. To be able to know that we have a God that's so compassionate yeah. and so good and so kind that He wants not just our praises and our thanksgivings, but also our heartache yeah. And our cries for change, like God wants those things. That's right. And ultimately, it's the Lord who will do something about it because God, our God is a God of restoration. Our God That's is right. a God of healing. And I also think that there's a gospel. Those of us, especially in the States, who have been in, prim- again, primarily majority spaces, majority culture spaces, there's a gospel from the minorities in this country that we need to hear and learn from. Yep. Yep. Um, so that our vision of who God is can be expanded. Yep, that's so good. Yep, yeah. We, <clears throat> you know, how many times in Scripture does it say the Lord heard their cry? Yes. You know the Hebrew the Hebrew word for that is the zedekah, mm. which is like a, a cry for justice, a cry, a plead mm-hmm. for, um, for to show mercy. Like, would you? And um, and it's just God listens to. The, the collective cry of his yeah. people. Yeah, he does. We see that all throughout scripture, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's really, I don't want to say this and, and cause anybody to feel any kind of shame or judgment, but I think one of the reasons that we struggle with understanding how or feeling comfortable with lamenting collectively is because we don't know how to lament personally. Personally, totally, Davey, totally. It's similar to like, Prayer, you know, again, mm. this is the part where I don't want anybody to feel shame. Yep. But I think that if you recognize, man, I, str- I, I feel uncomfortable praying with a group of people. Mm-hmm. I, want, I want you to ask the question, how comfortable are you praying by alone. yourself? Yeah, that's alone, good. Yeah. Right? It, it, it may not be one-to-one, right? You may just be a very shy, introverted person, but you have an Which is unbelievably great. robust yeah. prayer life. Right, right, <laughs> right. But, but a lot of the times, the reason somebody doesn't feel comfortable praying around other people is because they they're 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 struggling to pray alone right and yeah. so so let that be that you know really work in that private lament in your own life in the private prayer closet and then recognize that there are these times where it God has called us together to do this to That's right. cry out to him right. and it might not even be your own crisis mm-hmm. it's it's 
could very well be on behalf of somebody else or someone else's crisis. And this is what we're called to carry each other's burdens. That's exactly right. Exactly what you were saying. That's right, David. Um, Daniel Brooker gave me this incredible, like he says this all the time when we do our widower retreats. And I think it's pervasive to this concept right here where he says, hey, I'm not going to tell you that it's going to be okay. I want to walk with you until you can say it yourself. Mm, wow. And when you think about that, that is walking, that's carrying someone else's burden. Yeah. And that's on the side of, you know, someone in your life who's going through a difficult time, but also, listen, in our minority brothers and sisters mm -hmm. to say, I'm not just going to be like, hey, listen, it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine, right? right? Because right. I have some kind of discomfort or some yeah. kind of ignorance toward your situation and yeah. I don't know what, how to respond. Everything's going to be fine. You know, we're, there's laws being passed. There's things that, you know, no, no, no. Mm -mm. It's, it's not okay. Yeah. And I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to learn and I'm going to ask questions of curiosity mm -hmm. until you can say. You can say it's okay. You tell me. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, that's so good. Um, so anyways, it's just something I can tell, Aubrey, you're extremely passionate. About I am. I really am. Yeah. I absolutely love that. And here's why I love that. I love that because, so here's the deal. Like, let me tell you observationally. It would make a whole lot of sense that you would be passionate about, which I know that you are, women in ministry, right? Right. And it's another one of your like, yeah. it's like, I'm so passionate. You have this holy discontent for like yeah. the suppression of women leadership in ministry all yeah. throughout history, right? That would make a lot of sense. Here's what's beautiful about the passion that you carry for someone else in this is this isn't your burden, right? It's right. not your situation, right? right? You, are, you are a majority person. Yeah. And, but you're like, man, because of the work that you guys are doing with, at Renewal, mm -hmm. because of the, the, the people that you're, the friendships that you have, yeah. you're like, oh my gosh, no, this is not right. And you're not beginning right. to carry that burden. And so I think that's what's most important for all of us. If you're like, well, I don't know if I'm carrying that kind of empathy. Mm. Well, well, who are you surrounding yourself Yeah, proximity with? is so important in these conversations. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and. And the other thing I'll say is this, and we don't need to get off on this, but we can have another conversation at some point about this. But there are political conversations that are starting to stir up because yeah. we're getting into that season, aren't we? Mm -hmm. And primaries are coming down the pike. Lord and so yeah. here's, here's the deal. As Christians, we have often, uh, like what you said, backed away from the things we know that are absolutely true and right and biblical, that are from God's eyes, this is not right because we're afraid that we're going to, because of that, get lumped into some kind of party category. category yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because this is the party's line about mm -hmm. certain things. And so if I associate myself with one mm -hmm. of those things, all of a sudden now I'm in that camp. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say on behalf of Nothing Is Wasted, that there are going to be things that you and I right now will agree on and disagree on both from a Republican standpoint and a Democratic standpoint and everything in between. Yes, totally. And it is okay to find that nuance to go, hey, I stand yeah. with what would what would typically be considered a Democratic stance on this particular right. issue right. while I stand on this issue over here. And yeah. so the, rea the reality is, is like we've got to walk in this nuance and walk with each other and have right. healthy discourse. Yeah. That's exactly right. And remember that our citizenship is heaven and our That's king it. is Jesus. That's it. You know, yeah, we, you and I will have to talk about this again, but I just yeah, we'll think like, let's remember who we serve and who we belong series. to. How about that? Ooh. Ooh. Really good. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Oh, goodness. All right.
right, Davey. Uh, we have we oh, we, we love our conversations like the one with Tasha. Right. Most of all, we love walking with you to partner with God to take back right. our story. And so we always just want to invite you to go to our website, nothingiswasted.com, yep. to check out our community platform, our community plus platform. There we have all kinds of resources for you from coaching to content to courses, all the C's. What else do we say? Creativity. I don't know. We have all kinds of <laughs> all kinds of uh, um, all kinds of things because we just want to fill up your soul, especially yeah. if you're in a season of pain and heartache, to know that you're not alone and God is with you. Yeah. We also want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all of the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. You can stream, download, listen to his music wherever it is you uh, find your music. That's right. Uh, you can follow us at, in, on Instagram at Nothing is Wasted Ministries. You can follow me at Davey Blackburn and you can follow Aubrey at Obsamp. And we want to invite you to join us next week. We are having uh, a conversation with Kobe Campbell. Just an incredible conversation, mm -hmm. um, especially when you're trying to work through breaking out of uh, cycles, yes. healing from trauma. Yeah. It's just, uh, I mean, she released a book called Why Am I Like This? How to Break Cycles, Heal from Trauma, and Restore Your Faith. And so, so good. It's an incredible book. She's an incredible um, person, uh, writer. This is an incredible interview. So go ahead and listen to my conversation or a clip from my conversation with Kobe Campbell. But God moves in spontaneity. We see that in the life of Jesus. Mm. The Jesus does not just plan to go places. He go places. He goes places, and someone brings a, ch a child. He was walking, and he sees someone being carried away. Yeah. Jesus operates in spontaneity, and the Holy Spirit operates in spontaneity, and that requires our yielding and our our consistent attention. Yeah. Um, and so I've said this to to pastors and leaders is like. Um, the Holy Spirit's going to move regardless, you know. <laughs> and and if you He wants to heal in the temple, and if you won't make space for it, He'll He'll do it in a therapist's office. And that's literally what's happened. Mm. Is like what's actually interesting is there was like a move probably two three years ago. I've talked to a couple of therapist friends where a lot of pastors were coming to therapy. Yeah. A lot of ministry leaders yeah. were like, I can't get this from my church, so I like the church I'm serving at, the church I'm leading. So I'm going to go to a therapist's office. And so, um, but I would say to them, how would I put this? In the year of our Lord, 2023, we have not exhausted the ways in which God can manifest his power. Mm. And we have mm. to stop thinking that we have reached the end of understanding of how an infinite God can move. An infinite God can heal infinitely. An infinite God can move infinitely. Wow. If he's used a rock and a donkey and, uh, you know, yep. the, the least expected people, he can and will move in ways that are unexpected. And if we want to rest in the certainty of what we think should and shouldn't happen, we're going to miss it. And I say this because I see a lot of people who are committed to the idea of Christianity, but resistant to the movement of Christ.